97.9 The Hill, WCHO, and UNC School of Media and Journalism present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carroll Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC Journalism Professor Charlie Tuggle. Welcome to Sports Focus. Our topic today, the 2019-2020 college football season and beyond. Our guest, Brendan Marks, sports writer for The Athletic and a UNC alum and uh, someone who's dating way above his head, but that's uh, irrelevant at this point. So, uh, Brendan, let's talk about the, the recently completed college football season and where better to start than the championship game. Joe Burrow. Oh, my gosh. He's he's an absolute machine. I mean, uh, it's it's watching some of the plays that he made. You know, especially in the championship game, we saw what he was capable of all season. But um, you know, against Clemson's defense and, and the number of NFL guys that Clemson does have on that side of the ball, for him to still be able to go out and put up those sort of numbers, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I was sitting there watching the game, and by you know the middle end of the third quarter. Uh, they, they show his stats up on the TV, and, and it was hard to believe that he had already done that much. But uh, that's just how good he is. He, he really makes um, the incredibly difficult look easy, and uh, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what he's able to do at the next level. All right, so there were some thinking that he might be able to equal or perhaps even exceed the single-season record for touchdown passes. He did exceed it, and with 60, 60 touchdown passes in uh, 15 games, that's pretty easy math, an average of four touchdown passes per game. It's, yeah, it's, it's unreal. I mean, they're, um, you know, it, it was very interesting to me that um, all year they were sort of grouped in the same conversation as the Ohio State and the Clemsons. Um, and I would say even, you know, the Oklahomas for a very long time of the world. Um, but, but I don't think until we got to the playoff, that was when the entire country finally realized how, how absurd it was, the numbers that that offense was putting up. And give Joe Burrow a lot of credit, but, um, you know, he had a ton of talent around him as well. You know, Edwards Hilaire is, a, is an incredible running back. He's going to uh, be an NFL guy at the next level. Uh, Jefferson and Jamar Chase are NFL starting receivers. Um, you know, Jamar Chase obviously not able to come out this year, but he's going to be incredible when he is able to next season. Um, Thaddeus Moss. I mean, you, when Randy Moss's son is the fourth option on your offense, you know that you're probably pretty good. So, yeah. um, I, I don't think anybody was really surprised uh, that they were able to do that against some of the lower-level SEC teams that they did. But once you got to the playoff and nothing changed, it was like, whoa, this is something. Yeah, so I do want to put the, the, the 60 into context. Number one, it's a record. No one's ever done that uh, in, a, in a single season. Um, and I read, I think it was an ESPN stat that showed, and, and you know, you, you have to take into account the, the system he was playing in. That makes a difference. The receivers he had with him, that makes a difference. But uh, I think this is still telling. In the previous four seasons combined, LSU – quarterbacks threw for 59 touchdowns and he wow. threw 60 in one season so again yeah. uh, taking all that other stuff into account sure but that's oh my what a what an incredible player this get uh, this I kid be, is. I, I would be fascinated to see how many teams 
in Division One college football scored fewer than that many touchdowns this year. Because I guarantee you there are teams that score fewer than 60 touchdowns. Um, you know, like you said, you know, you have to consider the scheme. You have to consider the other talent with him. Um, but just the growth that he showed this year, uh, especially from last season, and being able to truly become the, the undisputed best player in college football, um, I don't know, you know, the records are one thing. I don't know that we've ever seen a player make the one year to the next transformation that he has. And it's just remarkable that we were all able to see it. And I, I would be shocked if you see anything like it anytime again soon. The combination of uh, talent around him, perfect situation, um, and a player who, after so many years of, of sort of waiting for his moment in the spotlight, finally gets it. And, and boy, did he ever run with it. All right, let's talk about waiting for his moment. He was a transfer. He was one of three, uh, yeah, three of the four quarterbacks in the semifinals were transfers. So what does that say about, you know, everybody decries, oh, the transfer portal, it's going to be the end of college football. I think it's been a, a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of, I think, depends on how you want to look at it. A lot of people, I think, would agree with you and say that it has been a good thing because you've, you've got players now who, where they otherwise may have been buried on the depth chart somewhere, they're now getting the opportunity to play. So um, it's an opportunity for, truly, I, it, the way that I see it, and I, I tend to agree with you, is you get to see the best talent sort of rise to the top. If you're not getting time somewhere, um, there are other opportunities elsewhere. And the um, the ease with which you can move from one school to another really enables that as well. Of course, there are going to be people on the other side of that coin who say, well, just because uh, you know, you've got players moving all over the place, that might not be good for college football because um, it creates instability. It's hard to you know, identify with the program. It's hard for uh, fans to become attached to players, you know, it's it's not the case where, um, you know, UNC, for example, uh, is very fortunate that they have a true freshman who's come in and he's been able to win the starting quarterback job, have success, and barring anything absurd, um, you can sort of project him to be the guy at North Carolina for the next two seasons beyond this. So fans start to build that loyalty now. They start to build an attachment to the player and the program as a result. Um, you do see less of that with transfers, but as far as the overall caliber of college football and, and the level at which it's being played, uh, I think it's hard to sort of dispute that uh, transfers and, and the ease of transferring has enhanced the game overall. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus. We're talking about the college football season of uh, 2019-2020, and we'll get to uh, the, the upcoming college football season. We're talking with Brendan Marks of The Athletic. So, Brendan, I want to talk about uh, the, the 2010s and the national champions from the 2010s. Uh, article in USA Today sort of ranking those champions. But before we get to the ranking, let's talk about uh, overview. Two conferences have dominated uh, in the past 10 years. The SEC has six national championships. The ACC has three. So what does that say about conference parity? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, that sort of illustrates that there isn't a lot of it. And, and that's something that we've known for some time now. You know, when you think about the best teams in college football, there's... Um, you know, stigma might not be the right word, 
but there is sort of a standard associated with the SEC that it is so far and away better than the rest of the country. And, and you know, when we talk about the ACC, obviously uh, things have shifted over the course of the decade, but as we're about to leave and go into a new decade, and, and especially going into next season, um, the ACC, for all intents and purposes, is a one-team league. I mean, no other ACC team finished the AP Top 25 poll ranked outside of Clemson. So, um, you know, it's not that this is an issue where the SEC and the ACC are incredibly top-heavy. It's really the SEC is, is sort of a runaway dominant uh, force, and Clemson singularly is elevating the ACC into that conversation. Again, that has only been the case for the past several seasons as um, you know, instability and, and departures of Florida State have sort of changed the culture there. But as we get ready to go into the 2020s, um, you know, our, the SEC bias, if people will say, you know, the idea that the SEC is better, um, that's as prevalent as as strong as it's been. And, and based on the way that the college football playoff has shaken out over the first five seasons, um, it's not something that's going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, so if, if you have six from one conference, three from another, obviously that leaves only one other. So Ohio State is the only exception in the past 10 years to uh, it being, as you say, one conference and one team in another conference. Well, except FSU's in that mix uh, seven years ago. FSU is not what it used to be. Miami's not what it used to be. So uh, I agree with you that it, for the moment, it, Clemson is at the top, uh, and, and it's Clemson and everybody else in the ACC. Um, but as far as uh, ranking the championship teams, now this wasn't a ranking of the championship games. It was how did that team that won the championship perform during the whole season? So I don't know if you've read this article or not, but guess who's number one on that list? I mean, based on what they did this season, it's hard to imagine that it's not LSU. Is it, it? Is, it is LSU. Right. So, I mean, that that is not surprising to me. I mean, they become the second team in major college football history to go 15-0 and in a season. And their average margin of victory, playing in the best conference, as we just said, playing in the best conference in the league, uh, in the nation, is is they were dominant. I know their margin of victory is some 30 points. Um, you know, I, their closest games are against uh, other teams that are in the same caliber, you know, the Georgias of the world, the Alabamas, and they're still winning those games against teams that are essentially NFL farm teams. Um, again, the, the comment that LSU was this year is not something that's going to be replicable. I think that's important for people to understand. This is not a situation where this is a true freshman who has uh, come in and, and he's been sort of a savior. That's, it's not that case. It's a situation where all of the stars aligned. It was the perfect pairing of quarterback and scheme, of skill talent around him, somebody who, you know, Joe Burrow, uh, as a graduate student, he, he's essentially an assistant coach on the field. So, this is a situation that is not going to be easily repeatable for anybody going forward. Um, but I think it's definitely fair to say that they were the best uh, college football champion of the decades of the 2010s. Um, you know, I would, I would favor them in a game against every single other champion, and that includes going all the way back to 2010 Auburn. Um, Cam Newton, I think, was as transcendent a singular player as you might have seen in college football in the last decade. But Cam Newton wasn't playing with a ton of other NFL talent. And so I think for that reason, 
if if that 2011 uh, excuse me 2010 Auburn team were to play against this 2019 LSU team, it wouldn't even be a contest. LSU would run away with it. And so um, the most transcendent player, the most talented team overall. Uh, it's not surprising me at all that they're voted as the best team in the 2009 of 2010. Yeah. So for the season as a whole, and yet. You're watching the championship game, and it's the end of the first quarter, and it's like, hey, it's not 20 to nothing yet. What's going on? <laughs> this is not the LSU I've been seeing, but then, my gosh, they turned it on. Right, exactly. I mean, I think Clemson, um, <clears throat> yeah, the, the difference in that game to me was that Clemson didn't adjust and LSU did. You know, Joe Burrow, I think it's fair to say that he was confused the first few possessions and, and obviously started with really poor field position, his back against the end zone, um, not able to get into everything that they would like to do offensively. But they adjusted to Clemson's pressure, and they learned how to pick it up and to give Burrow time. And the receivers realized how they were being defended in the secondary, and so they adjusted the way they were running the routes. And Joe Brady uh, adjusted some of the plays that he was calling. And so as a result, you see... LSU able to sort of turn the page, whereas Clemson never made that change. Clemson didn't have a counterpunch once LSU uh, sort of rose back up. You know, Clemson started out strong, LSU came back, and Clemson never was able to adjust to what LSU was doing. And I don't think that's any sort of condemnation of of what Clemson is capable of or of their talent, because, oh my God, they're stuck too. It's just that LSU was so overwhelmingly good that there really wasn't anything Clemson could have done to stop them. And that is truly the mark of a champion. Sports Focus returns right after this. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus and our discussion with Brendan Marks about uh, college football. We've been talking a lot about the 2019-2020 season. Let's talk just a little bit uh, about uh, the upcoming season, even though it's months and months away. So we, Brendan, we talked about it being in the ACC sort of Clemson and everybody else. Can Miami regain the mojo? Can FSU regain the mojo? Can Carolina regain the mojo that it had when Mac Brown was at Carolina the first time? Yeah, you know, I think when you're looking at next season, uh, it might seem sort of crazy to say this, but in terms of potential challengers to Clemson, because I think we've established that Clemson is by far and away the best team in the ACC, when you're looking at potential challengers, I sort of get back into this season one more time, and I say, who gave Clemson the most trouble? And it was North Carolina. It was a team that had a quarterback. A depleted North Carolina. By the way, correct. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, it's not it's it's not to say that North Carolina had a quarterback who was as good as Trevor Lawrence or a defense that was as good as Clemson or skill position players. Definitely not who were as good as Clemson. But what they were able to do is they, they showed the flashes of getting to that level. And I think that going to a bowl and not only going, but winning a bowl in Mac Brown's first season back in Chapel Hill, combine that and the momentum the program has with the talent that's returning, North Carolina returns, um, you know, obviously Sam Howell will be back for his sophomore season, but they return the majority of their leading rushers, the majority of their leading receivers, two 1,000-yard receivers are back. Um, When you look at all of the pieces coming back and the momentum that's already here and the evidence that you saw from what was, I think, many people considered to be sort of a rebuilding and regrouping season after back-to-back two-win years, um, 
North Carolina, to me, is the team that will present arguably the greatest challenge to Clemson in the ACC. And a lot of that does come back to Sam Howell because this is a quarterback-driven sport. And he is the guy outside of Trevor Lawrence, when you look up and down the ACC, who, even as a true sophomore, is probably going to be among the most dependable guys. And, and that's just because, again, somewhat a product of the talent around him and the scheme, uh, but, but the kid has the goods. And I'll be very interested to see if, if we do get to a point where it is uh, Clemson and North Carolina in the ACC championship next season, um, what UNC might be able to do differently this time that they weren't able to do uh, this season. And it's going to be a heck of a game if they do get to that point. But North Carolina, to me, more so than Florida State or Miami or Virginia Tech, is the team that could challenge Clemson for the ACC title. That'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I, I do enjoy looking at the 30 for 30 programs on ESPN. And I was looking at the one the other day about the U, you know, University of Miami. They they were excellent back in the day. I mean, brash, cocky, full of themselves, but but very, very good. Uh, and then FSU, being a, a Florida grad, I don't like either one of those programs or either one of the <laughs> universities. But they have at least the foundation the history upon which they could build and, and get back into the, uh, you know, the upper echelons of college football. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, right now, um, both of those teams are, are in somewhat similar situations where they're clearly underperforming relative, not just to their talent, but to their reputation. And then that's something that you sort of hinted at when you watch those uh, 30 for 30s about the U, you know, I, I heard people after LSU won the championship this year comparing LSU to the 2001 Miami team that many people look at as the greatest team in college football history. So that was sort of the standard and has always been the standard for Miami. Um, obviously, this season doesn't go the way they expected to, and it sort of looked like uh, players may have even quit you know, on their coaching staff at certain points and, um, you know, some bad losses in there for Miami. I mean, Miami losing to Duke in football, losing to Louisiana Tech, FIU. I mean, those are inexcusable losses for a program like Miami. Same thing with Florida State. Um, but, but both programs, I think, more so than in years past, are probably trending in the right direction. I think they are, uh, especially at Florida State, you look at them bringing in a guy like Mike Norvell, who's had success at Memphis, um, Expecting either of them to immediately be in the ACC championship conversation is, is probably a little premature, in my opinion. Um, but you can definitely see how, with the coaching staffs in, in place in both schools, there's potential to get back to that point. The reputation will always be there. The talent base and the recruiting in Florida will always be there. What is missing and what has been missing is somebody to put it all together. Um, I think Norvell can be that guy at Florida State. Um, you know, I think Miami is, is tracking in the same direction. I just don't think that next season necessarily is when we're going to see it all come to fruition. All right, the final 20 seconds or so that we have. We talked about the SEC dominating the championships. SEC goes 8-2 and two in bowl games this year. That's the conference to beat. Absolutely. It's not a question. Um, they're the deepest conference front to back. Uh, the fourth-place finisher in the SEC is oftentimes better than the second-place finisher in the ACC, who I think we've all agreed is, is one of the second-best conferences. So um, SEC is just on a different level right now than everybody else. They've got the talent base. 
um, whoever comes out of there is truly prepared to go and fight for a college football championship every year. And that does it for this edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guest, Brendan Marks. Thanks also to producer Ed Trench. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Cheers. Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's International Network of Sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC School of Media and Journalism.